0: Well hey everyone, welcome to episode 358 of F-STOP, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I'm happy to bring you a rising star in the nature photography space and one of the co-hosts of the popular YouTube channel, Bruising Views, Mike Demiola. Mike is a physician in Vermont who is in love with nature photography. Learn about his rise and the things that he's done to succinctly improve his photography in a short amount of time. Today, I have yet another favorite to ask you. If you haven't already, would you mind leaving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts? It really helps the podcast get discovered by new listeners. Thanks so much. Okay, let's get to this week's episode with Mike DiMiola. Alright, Mike Demiola, it's great
1: to have you on the podcast. Awesome, man, yeah, it's awesome to be here,
0: yeah, I mean, I feel like your name comes up all the time when I ask people for recommendations for the podcast, so we're finally making it happen,
1: yeah, for sure, yeah, I'm always kind of floored when I hurt when I hear uh my name thrown out there. I think when uh Bill Neal said my name, I almost drove off the road <laughs> um, so um always always a, always an honor to to have people uh recommend me, and uh it's an honor to to uh, know that they appreciate my work so definitely happy to be here
0: yeah right on. well I mean I like your work quite a bit so it's been really fun watching your journey as a photographer and to see yeah. see what you've been doing with your photography so i um, looking forward to this chat
1: yeah absolutely me as well thanks
0: awesome man well for for the people who don't know who who you are why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself
1: yeah sure so we'll kind of hit the basics here so um, 44 years old I live in central Vermont Uh, Pretty much smack in the center of the state, right near Killington, if people are familiar with the area. Yeah, not married, no kids. Uh, I'm not a full-time photographer. I am probably what you would call a very passionate hobbyist. I probably, yeah, most of the time, I'd say at least two to three times a week, I'm out with my camera on some form or fashion. So I really do, you know, not full-time. I I am out there quite a bit with it. Um, And I think that kind of... Uh, in a lot of ways kind of speaks to my approach to photography so yeah that's that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it um definitely you know interested in kind of smaller scene intimate scene type photography i'm sure we'll get into that a bit later on yeah that's and, kind of the basics so.
0: and when you're not uh making images what are you doing
1: all right so yeah my my uh, full-time job is i'm a physician uh, an anesthesiologist uh, i've been doing that i graduated medical school in 2008 was in the army for a little while, uh, as a physician, I did my training through the military. So stationed down in Texas for a bit, um, originally from New England. So Southern New England. And when I got out of the military, um, I moved uh, back up here to Vermont. I always said the only place I would want to move if I moved back to the East coast was Vermont. So made that happen. I'm glad I did.
0: Yeah. Right on. Well, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that side of things. Uh, what, definitely what, uh, what originally sparked your interest, in picking up a camera and how did you eventually transition into uh nature photography
1: yeah i think uh, so i think with uh like all all the best things it kind of happened in an unplanned sort of way so when i was down in texas i've always been into off-roading and a good friend of mine i was in a club a good friend of mine had a business where he was building up jeeps and um he would take people out on these tours and kind of do instructional stuff and so i was an instructor for him so i was teaching people how to you know drive their jeeps and this really kind of took off and so they wanted to do some promotional stuff or get it on their website get some photos um and up to that point so this is 2011 or so 2010 we're using cell phones so the cameras back then weren't as good um so it kind of came up we need some better photos and i happen to have this camera that had been kind of sitting around my house i had no idea what to do with it and i was like hey i've got this camera. It's a canon i think it was like a t rebel t3 or something with a kit lens i was like i got this i got this camera i could you know i could take some sweet pictures with this thing and so uh, you know lo and my obviously had no idea what i was doing and uh lo and behold the pictures really didn't look that much different than the uh ones that were coming off the the cell phone so then it kind of engaged me a little bit and I uh, reached out to some people who were doing similar photography in the area and talked to them about it and they kind of introduced me to the concept of editing photos maybe a little bit it was very cursory and um, so I started playing around with that not at uh, not even on a lightroom level yet just kind of like a plug-in sort of thing that just applied filters and that, that then it kind of became fun because now I could take this photo that didn't really look great initially and I can make it better and then and I think that it kind of also introduced me to the concept of how uh photography can make other people feel and how you can kind of you know uh, create emotions in people or or elicit a response because people love seeing themselves driving their jeeps doing this awesome stuff and if i could you know the filter i I cringe when i say this now but the filter that i always used in this app was the hdr filter so um (laughs) you know it would you know blow up and everything saturated and clouds would look cool and stuff and i mean i you know, so out there on this website, there's some horrible pictures that I took around 2011. If anybody wants to see them, but um, yeah, so anyway, but it got me. It got me kind of like in that mindset of like, you know, I could produce this, I could you know make these images, and and people will enjoy them, you know, on some level. And so that really kind of planted the seed. I didn't really do very much with it other than that for the next couple of years. It was just you know kit lens, taking photos, run them through this filter, giving them my friend to throw up on his Facebook page, and that was about it. Uh, but I got out of uh, the military and moved from Texas to Vermont, and all of a sudden I wasn't taking pictures of Jeeps anymore, but I'd grown pretty fond of using my camera, um, and so I just kind of started, well, it wasn't even really when I first moved to Vermont, there's probably a good year and a half where I really wasn't doing anything, just transitioning out of the military and stuff, so about 2017, I started kind of just picking up the camera again. and. I was in this new place vermont i've always loved vermont and so it was fun to capture it's a unique place and you know a lot of history and rural scenes and i love rural environments i'm not a city person at all so it was fun to capture that because it was kind of new to me at that time and that's really when i started playing around with it Um, so initially my earlier photographs were very kind of rural based like barns fences cows stone walls sheep like that yeah um And then, you know, over the years, I kind of slowly transitioned into more nature photography as I started to explore it, as I started to learn more, reach out, you know, network with people um, and really start looking at photographs.
0: That was something I was really curious about for you because you're working as a doctor, you've got this camera, you're like, you know, dabbling here and there with nature photography. But then you like quickly found kind of what your preference was in terms of, your style and the types of subjects that you like to photograph which is i would say it's fairly niche right um yeah so how did you come to find yourself within that niche of kind of smaller more minimalistic scenes and how did you get yourself the skill sets in order to capture those scenes the way that you do
1: well thank you so it's it's tough for me to name um like a a really, it's tough for me to answer that very discreetly. But there are a couple of things that stand out when I think back on it. Number one, in 2017, I took a trip to Ireland, not a photography trip. It was it was a, a family trip at that time. And I found myself in this gallery um, in Kinsale, Ireland. Just totally by chance and it was uh, Rohan Riley's gallery. I had no idea who he was at the time You're probably familiar with him. He's a fantastic photographer And I walked in there and I was absolutely taken aback by the quality of his work And if you're familiar with his work has a very minimalist sort of appeal to it very simple scenes He does a lot of very long exposure um, type of photography and I was absolutely blown away and, um, so in, I was the only one in there and he happened to be there. And so I spent a bunch of time talking to me talking with him. He was very gracious with his time and answered all of my stupid questions. I had no, I didn't know even know what long exposure was at that point, how he was doing that. And he explained it all to me in detail. And so that really did kind of set me off down this road. And so I spent the rest of the t- trip trying to make <laughs> photos like he did, um, but I didn't. <laughs> have the right i don't even have nd filters or anything so um but you know it really like it really did inspire me and i think that aesthetic as soon as i saw it and especially as soon as i saw it printed and big that aesthetic has always stuck with me and it was something about the simplicity and the calmness of it and how these images that can be so i don't want to say lacking a subject but just so simple can still be so evocative um Mm. more so than in my opinion anyway more so than like you know a huge vast landscape and sunrise sunset ocean whatever and so so that really kind of drew me in and so from that point on I really started looking into that type of photography or pursuing that type of photography trying to emulate it you know as we all do when we're first learning um so that was definitely a um kind of I would say a seminal moment in um my development and even though I'm talk with Rohan every once in a while now he knows none of this so (laughs) <laughs> when he's hearing this, maybe he's hearing it for the first time. But um I appreciate it, Rohan. You're, you're an awesome photographer and a huge inspiration. And then, you know, beyond that, you know, he kind of went to the grand landscapes, you know, like as I'm like, all right, I'm really going to start doing this, this nature photography thing. And, you know, the, a lot of people, as a lot of people do, they start looking at grand landscapes and it just wasn't for me. Um, I really didn't like, it. first of all, I didn't really like editing those photos. Um, <laughs> they are. It
0: is different for sure.
1: It, it really is, you know? And so, and I don't like editing period. It's <laughs> probably my least favorite part of, uh, photography. And so, um, that was just kind of another notch in the pro column for intimate scene photography because the editing is usually a, a bit more limited. You're not blending exposures. I mean, maybe you're doing a focus stack or something, but like it just, I was able to spend more time focusing on the aesthetics, the composition, just searching around me, looking for things rather than blending exposures and chasing light and all of that. And I I still do that every once in a while. I mean, a good sunset's a good sunset, but, um, I think that the tail end of it, the editing portion of it kind of steered me more towards kind of simpler scenes, uh, minimalist scenes and, and intimate landscapes.
0: So you developed a preference and a predilection towards a smaller, minimalistic scenes. What steps did you then take to try to hone your skills in that area? Or maybe were there certain photographers that you kind of discovered? Or I'm just curious, Yeah. you know, what What were the things that you tried to do to get better?
1: Yeah, great question. So um, the, the biggest thing is just taking in photography. I was just absolutely voracious in my appetite for consuming other people's photography. Um, obviously Instagram is an easy way to do that. Not the best way, but it's an easy way to do that. Then I started buying photography books and, um, and it wasn't even really just nature photography. I I'm enthralled with photography in all of its forms, street photography, portraiture, um, very abstract stuff. I have books on all of it and I, I love all of it. And so really when I started going down that road, I just started consuming a ton of it and, and not just scrolling, you know, on Instagram, I would really spend some time and try to, you know, understand what it was that I liked about it or or draw comparisons to, you know, photographer A and photographer B. I like both of their work, but they're different. What is it? What is the, what are the commonalities? And through that, I kind of started to develop my own aesthetic and develop my own eye for when I was out with my camera, things that I was looking for. So I think that was by far the biggest thing. I definitely did a bunch of workshops um, very selectively, um, both private and group workshops. And through that, I've developed, um, an, you know, mentorships and, and things like that that have really, really helped me, which, you know, I think I think we'll talk about maybe a bit later on, but um, that was another thing. Um, workshops. and. You know, overall, just constantly being curious, you know, and always wanting to learn. Um, just never, never being like, okay, I've arrived. I know how to do this. I figured it out. And so, um, <laughs> you know, that's that's another thing that you know, I've just always had that curiousness and that willingness to learn. Um, all and I, to this day, just as much as I did three, four years ago when I got going doing this.
0: All right. Well, cool. That makes a lot of sense. And like you said, we will talk more about that. Some of the specifics yeah. of that later. Sure. I wanted to go back and talk a little bit more about the relationship between, you know, your, your vocation as a doctor and the, and the type of work you do as a doctor. Mm-hmm. And how do you balance that with photography and, you know, how important is the photography side of things to kind of keep you sane at work?
1: Yeah. So I'll start by saying that the importance of photography, I don't want to be too melodramatic about it, but it was borderline life saving in terms of the role that it played in balancing out my um, being, really. The type of physician I am is an an anesthesiologist. So everybody, I'm sure most people know what that is, but that's about it. You know, the guy who puts you to sleep. There's (laughs) Beyond that, most people don't understand what anesthesiologists do. Most physicians, honestly, don't understand what anesthesiologists do. Everybody knows what an orthopedic surgeon does. So anesthesia is, most anesthesiologists are very type A. And I am type A to the extreme <laughs> when I'm at work. Um, I, I always kind of say that if like people, the people that know me outside of work, like in the photography realm, if they saw me at work would not recognize me. I am a completely different person in, in my approach to doing things and getting things done. And vice versa, people that know me at work, if they saw me interacting, you know, with my camera outside with a bunch of friends or whatever, you, you know, it's complete dichotomy there right who's um, that guy so yeah exactly and and that's the way it needs to be i mean when when somebody comes to me or they like, really they come to their surgeon and i'm there to get them through this surgery i'm in complete control over their body that whether they realize it or not and that is not something that i take lightly that any anesthesiologist takes li- lightly and so there is zero room for error um absolutely zero room for error. So you have to be 100% on top of your game. You have to be very scripted, do things the exact same way every time, or at least as much as you can. And you're constantly on. When I'm in the operating room, I'm constantly on, I'm listening, I'm taking in, it's it's kind of sensory overload, but you learn how to manage it. Um, But when you do that day in, day out, sometimes very long weeks, 60, 80 hour weeks, 24 hours of call every few days it can really really wear on you and adopting having that mindset and that Very strict very rigid very type a mentality For me anyway, some people probably make that work It I couldn't make it work. It was really having negative effects on me. It wasn't you know, I I wouldn't say like I was Depressed but I wasn't functioning. Well, I would leave work and I wouldn't be motivated to do anything and um I would get very frustrated with simple little things because, in my work environment, I could control everything. I could have everything exactly the way it is. Well, that's not the way life works, right? So I needed something to create that balance to allow me to um, step away from work, let my mind rest, and that's ultimately the role that photography filled. I've. Probably always had. I can say I've always had a drive to find some kind of creative catharsis and creative outlet. When I was younger, I tried writing fiction. That was a horrible endeavor. (laughs) Um, There's really not much else. Drawing. So like I couldn't do really anything else artistic. So photography has been such a gift for me in that sense to discover it, to allow it to fill that creative void, which really balances everything out. And it's it's done wonders for me. I mean, in my uh, professional career, personal life you know everything um so it's been a perfect kind of yin and yang sort of thing um and uh yeah very important to me
0: so what you just described is almost like a what is it mr jekyll and hyde or whatever it's like uh how, how why do you suppose it's so opposite when it comes to your approach to making images
1: so i will say there is some bleed over well, so it's a, first of all, it's, it's partly intentional. Um, when I first started photography, it was all about gear and all about timing, and you know, <laughs> and and I wasn't getting quite what I wanted out of it, and so I, I realized that, and so I, I shifted my approach a little bit, and you know, forced myself, made a conscious effort to just step back and not worry about necessarily being in the exact right place, right when the sun is rising and the Milky Way overhead and all that stuff. And just kind of taking my time with it and enjoying it and noticing small things and and most importantly, slowing down. So it took some conscious effort, but then that became a a habit. And that just kind of became my MO when I was in the field. And it just so happens to be very opposite of the way I am at work. And, uh, you know, maybe if I had a different job, I would kind of balance the two, you know, like maybe relax a little bit at work and, you know, maybe put a little bit more type A effort into my photography. I don't know, but I don't, I don't feel like I, I can't step off that gas pedal at work. Like I'm, my, I need to have that mindset at work. I demand a lot of myself. I demand a lot of my staff. You know, I think that's kind of created the, the dichotomy. Well,
0: and it's interesting because if you think about it in the work you do as a doctor, you're used to, I'm assuming you're kind mm. of used to like, okay, if I do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, E, F, G, the results are gonna be this. Probably yep. most of the time, right?
1: Yep, mm-hmm. but
0: in photography you can do all of those things and the results won't match what your expectations are most of the time mm-hmm. absolutely So, it's, like if, if that's your approach and you're used to it working it's mm-hmm. not going to work when you try to do it with, with photography at least not as much not as often
1: correct no you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and i and i there was definitely a period of time where i was getting very frustrated with photography <laughs> because of that you know it was like trying to force a square peg into a round hole uh, because that's the way i've accomplished everything in my life is just like knuckle down, learn the details, don't leave any stone unturned, just get after it. It's not really the way photography works. Um, but as I mentioned before, there is some bleed over. So like with my print, like when I print, I'm very, I'm very detail-oriented. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can see so that. I, yeah. I have a stack of about 600 test plates over here just because the tiniest little thing is off and it's like no so there's a little there's a little bit of bleed over there but at least in my approach my philosophy towards philo- towards photography is um very different than my professional one
0: i love that all right well let's talk a little bit about the importance of photographing closer to home you know i know that yeah. the majority of your photography is very close to where you live there in vermont i'm curious you know why have you taken that approach as opposed to going on lots of longer trips
1: so so fortunately i'm I'm blessed to live in um what i think is one of the more beautiful states in the country um i love everything about vermont it's got something to offer um all four seasons of the year from a photography perspective so the simplest answer to that is it's easy like i don't i don't have to go far and i can find stuff that's worth photographing But diving a little bit deeper, I think I'm always thinking about photography, driving to work. I'm looking at trees like how would I compose that? You know, my mind just is really never off of photography or very rarely is it off of photography. And I think that's a good exercise. And so when I do have free time, I just grab my camera and all these things that I see on a daily basis that my mind, I'm mentally composing. I try to play around with it. I think that there was a podcast you did, I think it was with Nick Becker. Uh, and you were talking about, you were talking about, cause he was, he's from St. Louis. Uh, he's a friend of mine. He, he photographs a lot in St. Louis, which is, you know, not really a huge photography destination, but you guys right. were talking back and forth about that and how, even if the images that you're making are not amazing portfolio thousand likes on Instagram type of images, the practice of just seeing compositions and framing them up in your camera pressing the shutter maybe edit them maybe not is so important in terms of developing that skill because it's a skill like anything else the more you do it the more you practice the better you get just seeing creatively not even just the act of making images but just seeing creatively and i think the point from that podcast that really resonated with me was that if you do that close to home and you do it on a very regular basis even if the pictures aren't anything amazing when you do get to someplace amazing when you do get to death valley or the oregon coast or the rockies or wherever you're it's like shooting fish in a barrel because you're just so used to seeing compositions and you're you're training your mind to think creatively and to see things creatively and to experiment and be curious and and so you 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 just kind of hit the ground running when you do get to those places that are maybe a little bit more traditionally photogenic. So, you know, kind of with those two things in mind, you know, I always make it a point to, to photograph whenever I can. And sometimes I might only have a couple of hours on a Saturday morning. And so I'll just go out and and photograph whatever, whatever's nearby. Um, I'll throw on my macro lens and kind of wander through the, through the woods and the wildflowers around my house or something like that.
0: And when you, when you go out, is it incident an intentional act of engaging in photography or are you the type of person that kind of just carries your camera and sees what happens?
1: Oh, good question. Um, may, maybe a little bit of both. Uh, I, probably more intentional. I don't, when I'm going, yeah, no, now that I'm thinking about it, it's, it's definitely more intentional when I'm, if I have a Saturday morning free, I'm going out with my camera my mindset is just taking photographs. I'm not, I'm not somebody who's like, oh, I'm gonna go on a hike I'll bring my camera, maybe I'll take it out, maybe I won't. That's not really me. Um, if I'm going out to take photos, I'm going out to take photos. And I may not take photos, but I don't take anything worth photographing, which is sure. somewhat somewhat of a recent development and I think a part of my maturation process. But yeah, no, I think it's, it's probably, it's definitely more intentional.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Well, speaking of your maturation process, I'd mm-hmm. love for you to talk a little bit about the importance of mentorship um, and how that's played a role in your photography and how you've been able to elevate your work in such a short amount of time
1: yeah me- mentorship is is huge i um you know there's a there's a number of of people that i consider influences um on my career uh, or my i can't call it a career my hobby or whatever, however you want to phrase it but you know kind of foremost among among them is tj thorne um we spent a week camping it was essentially a private workshop it was September of 2020, so right when COVID panic hysteria was, you know, at an (laughs) all-time high um, and I wanted to do, I needed to get out of town and he agreed to do a private workshop with me. We were going to do something down around Crater Lake, but Crater Lake was on fire. It, It was absolute calamity between COVID and fires and riots. It was just the worst time possible that you could think to go to Oregon but I went and it was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made because we ended up going up to the to the Olympic um, National Park and the the whole rainforest there and spent like, four, I don't know, three, four days just hiking through the National Park, going down to the shore, and definitely definitely made some good images there and, and learned a lot about photography, but by far and away the biggest impact that that trip had on me was just, The hours at night when we would just like sit there and just talk about photography, talk about creativity, talk about our lives, you know, and And he imparted so much to me about how to think creatively and how to view things and his general approach um, That just kind of it just it absolutely lit a fire under under me and and really started you know, when I talk about, you know, kind of change, changing my approach, that was really the time when that happened the most. Before that, I kind of wandered around. I was still taking a lot of pictures of fence posts and things like that. But after that trip, I was really kind of honed in on nature and, and, the, and developing a connection with nature and having that reflect in my work. I do not really been exposed to that element of it until I met TJ. Um, so he's been hugely helpful in that, in that regard. So um, definitely if anybody listening can ever uh, – get on a on a workshop with TJ, private one is awesome. Um, it'll be a worthwhile experience, I promise you, because it's had a tremendous impact on me.
0: Does that mean we can now call TJ an influencer?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure I'm sure he'll appreciate that. I was going to say, I bet he'll,
0: <laughs> he'll love that.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, TJ's, TJ's a great guy. We, we still talk uh, quite a bit here and there and cross paths you know, about once a year so. Um, yeah, no, his, his mentorship's been huge. I mean, the other cool thing is I've, you know, very recently, uh, somebody i work with son, um, a friend of mine's son is a 16, 17 year old, uh, kid who's really started getting into nature photography and he's super passionate about it. And so I, so I've kind of like flipped the script now a little bit and I'm very informally mentoring him and we've gone out a couple of times and, um, it's fun to see his enthusiasm, you know, and his passion for it. I think it's, unfortunately, something that's fairly rare in, you know, 16 year olds, 17 year olds these days. But, you know, just even that, like his energy kind of comes back to me, you know, and it's, it's been a pretty rewarding thing. Not that I've done that much with him, but um, it's been a pre- pretty rewarding thing to watch him develop and work with him a little bit and share that experience with him. So, you know, mentorship, I think is is super important.
0: Absolutely. And I think if you find that right connection, it can really turbocharge your development.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. so your 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 work has definitely changed
0: oh for say, sure over the past couple
1: <laughs> of years so what do you and, and maybe you, maybe you've talked about this before so if we're kind of being a dead horse we don't we don't have to linger on it but what do you what do you think caused your change is it influence of other people or is it your own desire to i mean to it's a huge change mix- your approach
0: it's a for me it's a huge mixture of things i mean big time i've had really close friends that I've each spent a lot of time with them and also just studying their approach to photography and, you know, their approach to editing and things like that, including people like, you know, Sarah Marino and Jimmy Gekes and, mm-hmm. um, you know, Ron Koskaroska and, you know, Alex Noriega. like just, just watching how they work and understanding their approach to making images and like wanting my own work to be of similar quality and caliber has definitely made an influence on me. Um, Definitely spending time with Eric Bennett has, you know, helped me a little bit. Um, And then of course I think this podcast, I mean, I've had so many awesome conversations with so many incredible photographers and every single person I talk to has kind of rubbed off on me a little bit here and there. So you know, I think it's a mixture of those, those things. And then, you know, as you mentioned too, the, the intent side is important as well, like wanting right. your work to go in a certain direction, and then taking steps to actually force yourself down that path. I think that's, that's important too.
1: Absolutely. So do you, do you feel a sense of a, a difference in the sense of satisfaction with like a, a really good grand landscape versus a or what you would consider to be a really good grand landscape and a or a really good intimate scene do you do you have a differential sense of satisfaction between the two well,
0: oh I, I pers- yeah i mean i love both of them i love the the smaller scenes for the reason that it's like they're found you know like you mm-hmm. have to kind of construct it and have a little chat with it and figure it out and things like that um so mm-hmm. i like smaller scenes from that perspective and you know, you can instill a little bit more of yourself into them. But the grand landscapes for me, a lot of times that's just like, you're witnessing the awesome power of nature and it's more about the moment. And, sure. but I don't chase those nearly as much as I used to. So, you know, if I'm in a place and it's happening and I, I can get it, that's cool, but I don't find myself like spending hours and hours and hours trying to, to, to get those shots anymore, but I still like, photographing them when i can
1: right yeah gotcha yeah i just i guess i guess the reason why i asked is because so i was just uh out in uh in september i was out in badlands i just took a trip by myself out there and you know that that type of place is pretty conducive to both types of Mm -hmm. photography Mm -hmm. yeah um and i probably took a relatively even number of what you would consider grand landscapes sun sky clouds all that stuff versus more dedicated photos of the rock formations and i I think i probably put out two or three of the the larger ones because i i I look at them i could objectively say like they're decent photographs right but there's just nothing to me there's nothing in the grand landscape ones that's just like yeah that's you you know so it's like there's uh, almost this differential sense of satisfaction right it doesn't
0: have the same quality of soul and you know yeah
1: exactly Mm-hmm.
0: I, I agree i mean like i said i i still like photographing those scenes and right you know if you put me in front of a scene like that and i'm got my camera i'm pretty excited mm-hmm. but to your point when i'm looking at those photos it it just doesn't have the same impact at least for me as the creator as say right. something that i found and i had to make sense of and i had to spend more time with and You know, I had to arrange the elements more cohesively. You know, I don't know. There's, yeah, there's something to it. It's hard to put my finger on it,
1: though. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. I agree. Well, good. It's good to know I'm not completely alone in that.
0: No, you're not. I think that's part of the journey, too.
1: Sure, for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, the grand landscapes, for me, it's, they always take me back to a moment. Like, I Mm -hmm. like that aspect of creating those images because I know when I look back on the photo I can be like oh man that was such an awesome evening or whatever yep. Yep. but but that's it like it doesn't usually right. have more substance to it
1: right yeah no I gotcha <laughs> I gotcha so yeah yeah I guess I, I kind of feel the same way but you also put a lot I think you put a lot more effort into your grand landscapes than I do because you're climbing <laughs> mountains and dark and all that stuff where I don't really do that
0: for sure I mean I definitely have in the past I mean I'd say over the last Five years it's definitely more like eighty percent small and intimate versus twenty mm-hmm. percent grand.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. But I still put some effort into it.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well let let's talk about winter photography. I know you absolutely yeah. love photographing in winter. What is it about winter that you love? What what's what is it about winter subjects that pulls you in?
1: So I've always loved winter as a season. I'm a, I'm a cold weather person. I don't really like heat. Um Uh, i like to visit it you know every once in a while but that's about it so i have just always loved winter been in you know winter sports everything my entire life so it's just kind of natural in that sense but i think more kind of photographically speaking i think winter scenes just kind of lend themselves to the to the type of photography that appeals to me most which again is that kind of minimalist sort of aesthetic because you can look at a field with a some trees in it or something like that that in the summer you never even pay attention to but you coat it in some snow and all of a sudden isolate one of those trees and get this very evocative scene that's very peaceful and calming and mm. that's probably the most the thing i chase for the most or the the effect that i would want my photographs to have them upon viewers the most is that kind of calm sort of peaceful at ease sort of feeling to it and so it's easiest i guess in in winter was one way to think about it that- so yeah i think that's
0: that leads me down a different path of questioning. Sure. yeah. Because you you'd mentioned that you're kind of seeking out those photographs that um, have the, you know, the calmness imbued into them. Mm-hmm. Um, which, totally, I get that. I'm looking for that, too. But I'm curious, are you specifically seeking out that aesthetic? Or, uh, like, would you avoid scenes that are more about, like, excitement or energy or... Um, emo- no. like, different, Are there diff- different emotions that you're, like, do you have a preference?
1: <laughs> no, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't really think about the emotions that much in the field. Um, Got it. Okay. If I see something I want to photograph, I'll, I'll photograph it when I was on the on the um oregon coast i was you know chasing waves and stuff because i I agree like you said before like you're witnessing the power of nature and especially if it's something you don't see a lot like i don't see massive waves crashing on (laughs) pacific coast rocks you know in vermont so um so no i certainly wouldn't avoid it and i would say even when i'm out in in winter and i'm the the western part of uh, vermont is very wide open um big fields and stuff and so that's kind of tends to be where i go um when i'm out there i'm not really thinking Calmness. I'm just, just naturally drawn to that aesthetic, and it's kind of like you do it without even thinking. You know, mm-hmm. so maybe on some subconscious level, I'm thinking about it, but you know, I won't. I'll, you know, I'll photograph anything. <laughs> you know, like I'll, <laughs> I'll be out there, and all of a sudden, uh you know, bald eagle. Then all of a sudden, I'm trying to shoot a bald eagle. You know, like I'm a little bit squirrel, you know, type of thing, but. But yeah so i think it's it's much less intentional than that and i i certainly don't shy away from photographing any particular scenes just because of the the emotional impact it might have
0: yeah and i wonder if that relates back to the whole work-life balance thing and your work is so Mm. stressful and type a and photography it's like i'm just looking for stuff that makes me peaceful
1: (laughs) exactly yeah just anything that grabs my eye gets my attention and you know fortunately we're in digital photography world, so we're not paying per sheet of film and um, so you can you can be pretty loose and just photograph things and so yeah
0: and so you know as someone who's somewhat new to photography um, at least in the nature space, where do you see it taking you and your photography in the future
1: good question i you know i I think I'm always going to be curious like I said I think it's going to so I'm always going to be open to new experiences and so along those lines I think I will start traveling more for photography and so in the past you know eight months and then you know fast forward to February I'm going to be out in Death Valley I've traveled more in that period of time than I ever have in the previous, you know, four or five years that I've been doing photography. So I think it's going to kind of get me traveling more, even though photographing close to home and locally is an important element of what I do. I think it's going to definitely push me to start doing things, getting me a little bit out of my comfort zone in that regard. Um, I'm actually going to Greenland in uh, next fall. Um, that's something that's kind of newly developing. So um, cool. you know, yeah. So I'm, I'm super pumped about that. Um, it should be an awesome trip. Um, so things like that, you know, I think it's going to kind of get me out there and exploring the world a little bit more. I don't know if that kind of answers your question, if that's what you're going for with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. Are you hoping your photography culminates into something like a book or or are yeah. you just like wanting to, to to capture images that you like? I mean, kind of what are some of your goals with the end product of your photography, if any?
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't. I can't say that honestly, I honestly have any goals. Would I like to, to put together a book someday? Absolutely, I would. I feel like with a project um, as big and uh, important as that, you really have to be motivated. You really have to have that as a goal. So I don't really have it as a goal. I may do it someday. I may not. We'll see. Um, I love teaching. You know, I kind of talked about mentorship and, and mentoring um, that young kid that I've, I've been working with a little bit. But then I, I, I don't really see myself running workshops either. So it's in a lot of ways it's kind of nice to just have it be what it is and allow it to follow its own trajectory without really a goal or an endpoint in sight And again, I think that speaks to the separation between my professional life, which was has been completely goal driven since the time I was in high school to this just being a little bit more freeform and just see where it takes me and, and enjoying that process. Um, it's led me to some awesome places and um and yeah it's been great
0: well maybe maybe this is a good tangent to talk a little bit about your connection and relationship with the national forest foundation because that is something yeah. that you're doing with your photography to try to help make an impact and maybe you can talk about what they do and mm-hmm. how you got started with donating 100 percent of your print sales profits to that yeah. organization
1: so the national forest foundation is um a charitable organization that protects, rebuilds, and otherwise preserves uh, public land um, and national, national forests, obviously, um, for public use. Um, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of their, their mission statement. So as photographers, obviously, we collectively as a group spend a ton of time in the areas, areas that they affect. Uh, they being the National Forest Foundation. Um, so their work, I think, is is incredibly important to photographers around the country. And I think it it just dovetails nicely in that sense. They're They're doing what they are doing so that we can do what we do. So it seemed like a logical fit to support them. As far as choosing them, there's certainly a number of nature charities out there. But the National Forest Foundation is exceptionally well run. Um, I think anytime that you donate to a charity because I donate to a lot of other charities as well um, outside of the photography world. And I always research them first. There's like charitywatch.org. There's a number of organizations that actually will rank charities as far as basically how far your dollar goes, like how many cents for each each dollar they give, how many cents go to actual projects or, you know, whoever the intended recipient is. And so National Forest Round Foundation ranks exceptionally high, one of the best charities in the country as far as that's concerned. So out of all the environmental charities, I chose them really strictly because of that. And and that's pretty much just been my relationship with them. As far as donating the profits, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that, you know, I have a profession that, you know, allows me to do what I want to do with photography and not need to rely on getting anything um, monetarily in return for it. I, you know, if I if I sell a print, I, I'm in a I sell through a gallery up in northern Vermont, and you know I sell I don't know a couple of prints a month maybe. Um, if I do, and at the end of the day I profit a you know, 100 or something dollars. To me, it's a lot better to put that back into the system that's allowing me to make these images rather than mm. than keep the hundred dollars. I'm pretty minimalist when it comes to my photography. I don't have a lot. In other words, I don't have a lot of ongoing expenses. Um, I. I'll stick with a camera platform for years and years i have a handful of lenses i'm not always buying lenses tripods and all that stuff i mean i have <laughs> decent equipment but it's not like an ongoing cycle where i'm trying to constantly pay for the next latest greatest thing i keep my stuff for four or five years and if i absolutely need to upgrade i will um so i don't have it i don't need to fund my ongoing photography habit hobby whatever you want to call it um, with print sales again so that's another reason that it just made sense to give it back, you know, keep these places open, make it so everybody can enjoy it. Um, I don't think my photography directly is going to make an impact on conservation in the way that like, you know, obviously like somebody like Ansel Adams did. Um, But if I can contribute in this way, you know, all the better.
0: Yeah, I love that. Have there been any any challenges that have arisen from your choice of donating 100% of your profits?
1: No, I don't think so. Um, again, I think maybe if I was constantly turning over equipment or, you know, right. I, I, I was only creating photographs when I was traveling, like I had to get on a plane and fly somewhere to do it. And, you know, and then, it, you know, it'd be a, fin- a bit of a financial drain, but I'm, I'm very fortunate in, in, in that sense that, you know, I can, I can kind of do what I want and, you know, within reason, of course, and enjoy it that way and, and give back. So, yeah, no, not really, not really very many challenges. All right, cool. Yeah. Well,
0: let's totally shift gears. Let's do it. I know that uh, you're one of the co-hosts of the new YouTube channel Bruising Views, which I think the was... YouTube
1: sensation. That's right, started by
0: Eric <laughs> Bennett, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You... So, what was the impetus and kind of the creation process of Bruising Views, and and what has um, it been like for you to be a part of that?
1: Just a uh, just a bunch of. Uh... <laughs> Tom Foolery is what it is it's the <laughs> genesis of it i wish it was something crazy profound um if, so i will say it's been awesome to be a part of it and get to know eric really well and paul bowman um uh also um jim roadwall uh, who's also been on your podcast i've actually known him for a while he lives not very far from me over in new york so i've known him for a while so it's the four of us that started it um it was eric definitely eric's idea uh, the, so the group kind of got together, honestly, just kind of haphazardly because we are kind of situated in different parts of the country where we have access either directly to the breweries of really really high end beers, or we live in states that these breweries can ship to. That's how I got involved because a lot of states will ship to Vermont. Um, so it's kind of started out for and so for like six or eight months. That's that's kind of all it was. We would just kind of communicate back and forth, buy bottles for one another. You know when these things came out and when I, I got to be honest with you when I started this I I really didn't know that much about beer I do not really I don't really drink a lot didn't drink a lot of beer uh, I knew nothing about it <laughs> and Eric is and Jim all all three of them really have encyclopedic knowledge knowledge about beer um, and so I really kind of talking about imposter syndrome I'm like I, I don't really know I was kind of bluffing it initially um, and so you know i learned a lot about about beer from them and then one random day eric's like hey do you think we should do a show where we just kind of you know each crack a beer and like kind of go over some cool photos that we've seen recently and i was like that's a we're like it's a fantastic (laughs) idea we should absolutely do that and uh so you know eric's got you know a lot of skill with video editing and um you know that kind of production and things like that so we kind of set it up and did it and i think our first one is technically on the youtube channel but it was it was a little bit rough, um, but we kind of refined it, you know, went through the growing pains of technical difficulties with microphones and all that. Um, and then obviously, you know, because Eric is who he is, we've had some amazing guests on um, Sarah Marino, Michael Bellino, Alex Noriega. Um, we're probably by the time this podcast come out, it'll have already happened. but we're doing one with Hans Strand uh, this coming oh, weekend.
0: Yeah. Fun. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: So it's it's been amazing to get access to these people um and to be able to converse with them and get to know them on a on a very personal level that's very it's have fun you know and that's that's kind of what we do and that's really the intent of it we're not not making any money on it it's just showcase some photographers we always try to pick photographers that are kind of under the radar lesser known get their work out there get them some exposure um just to kind of share stuff that people may not be seeing on their instagram feed or anywhere else um hearing on podcasts so um that's a little bit of a kind of ancillary goal that we have but it's mostly just to have fun hang out and talk about the things we love namely photography and and good beer
0: that resonates with me for sure uh yeah yeah we gotta get you on definitely (laughs) How, how, it's funny because uh when i first met eric eric in person he we were talking i don't know this must have been 2019 2020 maybe and we were talking yeah. about craft beer and he was like i don't really know that much about craft beer i just like it and now yeah. he's like obsessed with it
1: <laughs> uh, it's it's insane i mean you he just like somebody will like have We'll be like on the show and we usually hang out for a little while beforehand and somebody will be like Paul will open one and it'll be some from some obscure brewery or something like that, and he just knows. Oh yeah, he's like that's uh, Nelson and uh, Citra hops. That's uh... and Paul will be like, I don't really know the ABV of this, and he's like, oh, it's seven point eight. You know, what? like he just knows this stuff. Like he just, <laughs> I mean, he's 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 obviously. He's obviously an intelligent guy. I don't want to blow him up too much because I'll never hear the end of it, but like, he's obviously a very intelligent guy, so he can he kind of remembers these things and learns things pretty quick. So especially if a few years ago he wasn't all that into it, now he's like yeah, an it encyclopedia. It doesn't really surprise me, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. How do, how do you feel like the format uh, for the show is going? I mean, I know, so in my in the landscape photographer worldwide discord channel, we talk about bruising views every once in a while and we're like, man, a, it's a lot of fun but i don't know if i have enough time to watch the entire yeah. episode most of the time right <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah i can honestly say i don't think i've watched the whole one all the way through for sure <laughs> definitely not so we were actually joking about that we were saying we were before how uh uh what movie it's gangs of new york everybody was like oh it's so it's such a good movie but it's so long it's like three hours long or something like that and that's scorsese and here we are traveling on for three and a half hours like we, like people are really going to watch that so i don't think we necessarily we don't certainly don't expect people to just sit down in front of their computer and just watch that start to finish. So I don't know. I think a lot of people have reached out to us and they're kind of like, yeah, I just treat it like a podcast. Like I'll have it on, you know, while I'm editing photos. And when I hear a new photo come up, I'll click over and look at the photo and click back and edit some photos or do something else, um, which is cool. I think that's a good way to do it. I think we, yeah. we we probably will start to trim them down a little bit. Our most recent episode was the shortest um you know at a minuscule two hours uh, yeah i mean honestly what it is Matt, is we just we have so much fun doing it you know just it's just a bunch of buddies hanging out
0: yeah you no know, that's but, awesome
1: but yeah, you know, and saw, each other's shops and you know having fun with it
0: i just saw today um an instagram story from bruising views which i'm assuming is eric but yeah um basically it was like we know not everyone is watching the whole episode so we decided we would share a few like Photos and snippets from the episodes so that you can see the, like, the greatest hits or whatever. Yeah. Yep. I
1: thought that was a good idea. It's a great idea. It was Eric's idea, and he will do it. Uh, I think he's going to do it every Wednesday. So, yeah, he did that post. Normally, I'm the one actually doing the post on producing and when I can remember oh. to do it. But uh, you, you could tell from the lack of originality with the stories. But anyway, yeah, so he did that one today. That was, that's kind of his idea. So we'll probably do that going forward. Um, I think it's a great idea, it's just a short little snippet just to kind of highlight reel sort of thing.
0: Perfect. Do you have any secrets for hangover cures? Given the amount of beer that you're required to drink while hosting the show?
1: Yeah. No. Fortunately, uh, I haven't had to deal with uh, hangovers in, uh, the pe- in the recent in the recent past. But uh, now nothing. Hydrate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's about all I got for you. Try not to get hungover. I think that's probably the best uh, best advice.
0: All right. Well, last question. Who do you recommend for the podcast? Who are some photographers, maybe flying under the radar that we should know more about?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I de- there's I have to narrow this list down. There's so many people I wanted to include on this. So, I'll start with a local guy, Caleb Kenna. Um, he lives uh, next town north of me in Brandon, Vermont. He's been a photographer for decades. Um, did a lot of journalistic work in the '80s, it was in Afghanistan. He still does assignments for the New York Times and things like that, but. His focus now um, is predominantly nature photography. He does a lot of aerial photography, drone photography. He does a workshop, uh, I think, with Kurt Budliger, too, Uh drone oh, okay, photography yeah. workshop in Vermont. And it's the only one he does. Uh, but just a fascinating guy, an, an immense body of work. Um, he's he's kind of runs the gamut of different types of photography so just an interesting person i think he'd be uh if he'd be willing to come on the show he'd be an interesting guest because i'm sure he's got tons of stories from his experiences you know doing photography over the decades next up i had abby i hope i'm pronouncing her last name right um reader and maybe raider r-a-e-d-e-r uh she's also another vermont photographer she lives in vermont i think just part-time but a phenomenally inspiring photographer she does a lot of writing um with her her photography Um, and what i love about that is it just kind of gives you some insight into how she views and interacts with the world it's like you she'll she'll her photography certainly stands alone but when you read what she writes about it it's almost like it gives the photographs personality Mm. um and it's just it's her ability to do that is fascinating and i love her images usually fairly abstract fairly whimsical um, just a, a really solid body of work and a very, you know, my relatively limited er- interaction with her just a, a genuinely very nice person So definitely check her out. She'd probably she'd definitely be interesting to have on the show um, Garrett Hess is a, another guy out of Erie, Pennsylvania that I've been following and definitely digging his work a lot lately relatively new to the scene. I think he's only been doing it a few years um, What I love most about Garrett's work is again, he's he's living in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, he doesn't travel a lot for his photography he does a little bit um but he's just creating consistently good work you know in erie pennsylvania you know and i definitely respect that and every time i see his images i you know definitely take a really good look at them, and they're very inspiring and i love seeing his work and i've loved seeing his progression over the past you know i've only really been following him for a year but he's kind of on this very steep part of that that curve
0: um, yeah that, and really and putting I, out good stuff and i don't know about you but i have a much higher appreciation of of that type of photographer than say someone who visits like all the national parks and visits all the classic scenes in those parks and you know maybe they come away with some really great photos of those classic scenes but what are you what are you contributing that's new or interesting
1: right exactly exactly (laughs) yeah check out garrett's work i mean it's 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 really good stuff you could tell he he really is pushing himself creatively and it really shows up while in his work so um awesome stuff there uh adrian villa is a guy not specifically a nature photographer mostly nature but he does include a lot of man-made stuff you're probably familiar with him he's got a fairly robust youtube channel definitely different from what i typically do he shoots almost exclusively square format black and white but what i love about him is his approach to photography it's he just walks around these places, hardly ever uses a tripod. Only if he's doing like a long exposure, just sees things, composes it, snaps a picture, then moves on. And it's not that he's being superficial. It's just he's just just that process of just seeing something cool, grabbing the photo, you know, lining it up, composing it well. And all of his work is very, very well composed. I just love his approach. To me, it's refreshing when I when I get into a kind of a rut. I watch his videos. You know, when I'm. Overthinking my photography too much. I love watching his videos because he underthinks his photography. It's still amazing work and his compositions are awesome, but he just kind of goes and just shoots and shoots and shoots and very simple editing and just puts stuff out there very consistent. So, um, definitely an interesting person, he has a pretty big YouTube presence. I'd love to hear him on your show. I think he'd be an awesome guest. Nice. lastly Jesse Nelson as uh, a photographer out of South Dakota I really came across his work um, or spent more time going through his work when I was out in South Dakota or really actually when I got home from South Dakota and I saw all his images of the Badlands and wanted to destroy my SD cards uh, <laughs> because it's just it's a phenomenal body of work he's a fantastic photographer really kind of under the radar that's um, um, a uh, Je-
0: Jesse Brown Nelson, Jesse
1: Brown right? yeah Jesse Brown Nelson yep that's yeah, I've been
0: following him for a long time.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say he's under the radar, but he. No, but I mean, um, he's just, got
0: like what, like uh, seven thousand followers. I mean.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's so he's, awesome he's, so I shouldn't right? say under, Yeah. No. They're they're definitely definitely consistently good. Kind of runs the gamut. Some bigger landscapes. Some more intimate scenes. Um, but mo- you know, mostly out of South Dakota. So just really solid work. I I, I love seeing seeing his images pop up on my feed and you know scroll scrolled through a lot of his images definitely inspiring so worth checking out probably not probably definitely worth talking to on the show
0: love it those are those are solid recommendations thanks man
1: yeah absolutely absolutely
0: well all right mike well this has been super fun uh, and definitely i can't wait have to hang out with y'all in Views sometime
1: yeah for sure we'll uh <laughs> we'll, we'll get you on there in the very near future we'll have a good time of that no doubt
0: Alright, well thank you to Mike for the super fun chat on the show today. If you haven't already, I highly encourage you to take a look at his work. It's really, really fun stuff. As always, I'm on the prowl to hear your stories and your approaches to the craft. Don't be shy. Reach out so we we can record those stories. Cheers! Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week!